This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. God, welcome back to the WOMED. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Why oh my God? You know us. We like we like our deeper episodes. We need them every once in a while. Y'all need them every once in a while. Yes, we just we unpacked. We just unpacked a lot. Do you and I need to take a deep breath and center ourselves? I feel so refreshed, but we can do that. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are gonna take a Monday deep breath with us ready. And we're going to take like a four second inhale. Are you going to breathe really heavy on the mic? Because there's might be some auditory people that won't appreciate that. (laughs) No, I'll spare you all. Um, Okay. This is ASMR. Okay, stop. We're taking a mindful moment. You're ruining it. (laughs) And we are taking a... Okay. Now you're snorting. You ruined it. You ruined it. Okay. We're going to take a deep inhale. Infill the lungs. And exhale. <sighs> okay, y'all might does... have to do that at the end of this episode too because yeah. this shit gets heavy. But breathing really makes me feel better. Doesn't it? It really does. I think we really forget to breathe more. Yeah, I definitely forget to breathe. I remind all my patients because they hold their breath when I'm putting needles in their faces and I'm like, I really can't have you falling out. Yeah, but then if they breathe like too heavily, what if you like fuck up their face? Well, if they're going like this, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you can't do that. Okay. We take slow, gentle breaths. So what's going on with you? Well, this episode is going to, we're going to talk about grief. We're going to talk about grief within healthcare workers. And I don't touch on this too much, but I know I've brought it up before on the podcast. My friend Erica ended her battle with cancer on Mother's Day. And she was surrounded by, you know, everyone that loved her. But it's just heart it's just heartbreaking. I'm so sorry, um, Dean. Just, fuck cancer, man. It just takes so much from people. Mm-hmm. And I just wish she would have had the chance to live more. I'm so, I, I know. I mean, there just aren't words, especially when it's someone that is taken too soon. There's mm-hmm. just no words for a life that was taken too soon. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this grief. You know, this week, I think we were fortunate to have Karen Moon on. She's a licensed social worker and therapist who specializes in grief. And this was such a a great, great timing for you to kind of talk through 
you know, you've had enough grief in your entire lifetime Please to work no through. More. But this was great timing for you to kind of talk about your personal experiences. I, spoiler alert, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but I also touch on some personal life changes that I have been alluding to on the podcast for a few months now. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of share some more specifics about what exactly I've been going through. But outside of our personal experiences, I think that this is such a important episode because healthcare workers have been experiencing so much grief on so many different levels from the pandemic. And And had to just push it down. Shoving it. Just like literally pushing it down, pushing it down. And I hope that this episode, this is just an hour where you can get some perspective from a true specialist on how to start not just taking care of yourself, but processing that grief. Now that I'm comfy, I've got my my matcha here today. We are welcoming Karen Moon to the WOMED podcast. And you're a specialist when it comes to grief, grief and loss. I mean, definitely as healthcare providers, we have witnessed our fair share. I didn't personally work through the pandemic, but I did work NICU for uh, 12 years Mm -hmm. and just had to, I mean, like those deaths just compound, you know, and I just wonder how much of one single human is supposed to be able to take. And then thinking about everyone working through the last two years, it's very, it's shocking. It's humbling. It's really painful to think about because I know personally how much we're expected as healthcare providers to, okay, you know what? You've done your bereavement care. You've had a death. Go eat some lunch and you have another assignment. You know, there's, there isn't really that luxury to, allow space for someone to go home after that. The expectation placed on healthcare workers is just unreal. And the amount of death that people saw working on the COVID units, I just, I just can't fathom it. Yeah. So I'm so grateful that we have you here. Mm-hmm. Our community of listeners are primarily healthcare workers, a lot of nurses. And so I think that this will be a very restorative and healing hour for our listeners and your expertise in, in grief. Like, how did you get into that? And like, what was your experience kind of leading you to this specialty? <laughs> Thank you, first and foremost, for having me on today. I've had the privilege in the last couple of days to spend some time with healthcare workers, and I am humbled and awed and saddened by how they've been treated. And I feel like I've learned so much from all of you. Before I answer that question, I just want to respond to you, Danielle, that what's come up over and over is this concept of resilience and you know, nurses and doctors and healthcare professionals are so resilient. And of course they can handle anything. And of course it's your job. You're getting paid to do this. So you don't deserve to take a break if someone dies or if you're breaking down because this is your job, Mm -hmm. but you're human. You're awesome humans, but you're human. (laughs) (laughs) I also just have this vision in just talking to so many people over the past two years 
I think of all of you as like vessels and you walk in to work and you're a vessel and everyone, all of your patience, all of the sorrow, it just gets thrown into your vessel. And then you're expected to just go home with it and go to bed with it. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't. So, you know, we live in a, we live in a, in a country that doesn't really feel comfortable with grief. And I got started when I was in high school. One of my very close friends died when I was a senior in high school. And I was actually with him when he died. He was, he was lying in the street and someone ran over him. And while he was under the car, he was still alive. And I was with him. And then when they lifted the car was when he died. And I was 18 years old. All of my friends were 18 years old. We didn't know how to handle it. And this was 1982. Really, people didn't talk about grief then. And I felt very alone. And then I went off to college and just moved forward with my life because that's what we do as Americans, right? We pick mm-hmm. up ourselves by the bootstraps. We put it in the rearview mirror and we move forward. And it carried with me. Mm-hmm. And it carried with me in some negative ways. But I was able to turn it around, which is what I think is a beautiful thing about pain and trauma is that when we can turn it around, we really grow and we can become so much more. And I turned it around and I thank that experience. I don't thank his death, but I thank that experience for where I am today. I'm committed to holding a space for grief because we all laugh. You know, you get three days off for bereavement leave. Mm -hmm. Certainly after a quote unquote year, you're supposed to be all better. And my office, which I actually work in my pool cottage in the back of my house that I swear has healing elements in there, because when I've tried to work elsewhere, it doesn't quite work. All my healing angels come and I just hold space, hold space for the grief because grief needs space. So fast forward, I got my master's in social work and funnily enough, I got a job at Merrill Lynch which I remember when I first got the job, I called my husband and I said, oh, I got a job at an insurance company. And he laughed. He said, no, it's not an insurance company, honey. It's an investment bank. And what social worker works at an investment bank? But Merrill Lynch back in 1993 was outrageously generous. And we had an employee assistance program with 10 social workers. And so I, so I would work with employees with any kind of problems, but whenever there was a death or a trauma, they would send me to that office to work with the employees. So, you know, in 1993 with the Oklahoma City bombing, I went to Oklahoma City, uh, I went to Littleton after the Columbine shootings, and then certainly Mm -hmm. after 9-11. And I I will share a story of what happened to me after 9-11 that was pivotal in my career and in how I work with people. No one at Merrill Lynch died from 9-11, but the building that Merrill Lynch was in was right next to the World Trade Center. So all of those employees were there that day and they were displaced to another office. And I would go every day and work with people individually and within groups. And I remember sitting in one group with around a conference table and a man stood up and shared his story. And, you know, there are those people that are incredible storytellers. He was one of them. Mm -hmm. And he shared a story about how he was sitting at his desk and he was called and said, evacuate the building. And he ran down the stairs and he was standing at the marina in front of his building overlooking the East River. And everyone there was looking up at the building, at the first building, wondering what was wrong and why it was on fire and what happened. And he he heard a roar 
and he turned around and he saw the second plane and the second plane flew right past him and all the people at the marina so close that they could see the people in the windows and they watched the impact and then it was chaotic and people ran and screamed and things were coming out of the air he got on a boat and got back to new jersey and when he was finished he looked at all of us and he said thank you thank you for letting me share my story nobody wants to hear my story Everybody in his life was like, you're, you're all right. Oh, good. You're fine. You're safe. But no one wants to hear the story of the detail. And that's what I feel. That's what I experience so much with my clients and with people is the painful details of the story other people don't want to hear. And I think especially during COVID with healthcare providers coming home to their family. And I don't think there are even words that you can put of what you all have experienced. And so what do you do? You just kind of shut it down yeah, and move forward. And because there's absolutely no space at work to talk about it either. No, everyone has the cry bathroom. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so true. There's just, there's no time though. You know, you can go in for a cry, but you better not take more than like two, three minutes. You got to get back to work. I think through the pandemic too, healthcare workers experienced so many different levels of grief that we're not used to. Like before the pandemic, you're right, Danielle, I'll never forget the first patient I lost and realizing that we had to not only provide all the postmortem care, but that we were expected to get an admission right after. And I remember like the first time I had ever experienced that, I couldn't believe like someone had just died and here we are and I'm just supposed to like, you know move on and admit the next, like, you know, just kind of keep moving. So these things have always existed for healthcare workers before the pandemic. But I would love to like hear more ways that you have worked with healthcare workers and seen like, what are the different ways that healthcare workers have experienced grief? Because grief looks extremely different in in different ways. Um, It's not always just the, the loss of a life. I think especially during the pandemic, there's so many levels of loss. Like you say, there is the loss of life. There's the loss of your work and what work looks like and what it meant. And I've heard too many stories of loss of faith of my administrators, of my people who are in charge, Mm -hmm. fear of liability, um, not trusting the system because, I mean, the system's been broken for a long time, but it really became apparent apparent during COVID. The loss of um, just what I know that I want to do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people feel just as committed and other people have lost their fervor and their commitment to doing the work. And I know that healthcare, like my profession is more of a calling and it's probably something you've all wanted to do forever. And then to question and say, can I do this anymore? is heartbreaking. I definitely felt that. Um, and I feel like I called it, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic that there was going to be a mass exodus from the field because the sheer volume of patients and death 
and like isolation from your families because at the beginning we didn't know like we we just didn't know enough about it and families were quarantined from each other you'd have a mom that was going off to work on a covid unit and she would be you know stuck down in like the basement or something or staying in a room just so that she wouldn't get her kids and like her husband sick or something or her partner and I think when you said like loss of life, it doesn't just mean like your physical life. It's our day-to-day function. I, like I said, I wasn't working at the bedside during the pandemic. I was in a new job, but the loss of society and connectedness with people, like we couldn't we didn't, I mean, I didn't, a lot of people down in Nashville just didn't give a fuck, but a lot of people just didn't see each other. You know, we were scared to hug each other. And I think coming out of that has just been really, really strange. It feels very tiring. Like being in large groups now feels very tiring because I'm just not used to that energy being expelled to, to other people. What happens is when, when there's a crisis, we all go through it and then it's over. And the expectation is we'll just get up and go back. Yeah. You know, so that mother who was in the basement for six months being isolated from her family. Well, now you're with your family. Shouldn't you be fine? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have in talking to healthcare providers over the last few days, I am astounded by the amount of people who have said like, wow, I never really stopped to think about what I went through. And what I see then is that you're this person who's just carrying this with you. Obviously, because I'm a therapist, I think the way to process grief and trauma is to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And there's not been the time or the space to talk about it. I often say to people that grief to me, when someone dies or something happens, it's like this big balloon that's inside of your body. And you walk around really awkward, like you're, you're filled up with this big balloon. Mm-hmm. And then with time, because time is magical, but time where you pay attention and you honor, you process with it, the balloon gets smaller. So when you pay attention to that balloon, which is the grief, it gets smaller and it never, ever goes away, but it gets to like a manageable size. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to be a place of wisdom too, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. But all these people who haven't processed what's happened the past two years, their balloons are huge. (laughs) Yeah. And when balloons are unattended, they pop and they pop at pretty unforeseen times. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the contents of these balloons we'll say that we're holding on to. It reminds me of like what you said earlier about how grief needs to also hold space. So what are some, some practices that you recommend to clients or to, you know, the general healthcare workers to start to process or what does, if they don't have access to like a therapist or something too, obviously that's like step number one is trying to find someone to talk to. Yeah. But what does, you know, holding space for grief look like? Obviously, I'm a therapist. I would love everyone on the planet to have access to talk to someone. I think talking to another human 
slash therapist is such a gift, but it's not accessible to everyone. And it's not necessarily necessary. It's getting it out. So whether it's talking to somebody else who gets it, I think like in being with a group of healthcare providers, I am astounded by the amount of support and love and passion there is for one another. But of course, I know you don't have time during the day to do that. Mm-hmm. So to tap into a couple people to talk. But the other really powerful tool that we have at our fingertips pretty much all the time is to have a notebook and a pen and mm-hmm. write it down. What you've all experienced the past two years, there's incredible pain and there's incredible richness. And I think it would be criminal for it to kind of melt away and not be documented. And I'm not saying to journal for documentation, but getting the story out on a piece of paper is almost, I'm not going to say this too loudly because it might put me out of business, but it's almost (laughs) as good as going to a therapist because what you get is perspective. Mm -hmm. When you, when a client shares a story with me and I'm not their mother, I'm not their sister, I'm kind of this objective person. I do have some opinions, but I don't always share them. And they share a story with me. They're not trying to impress me. They're not trying to annoy me. It's just naked. It's it's out there. And my favorite moments is when a client shares a story with me and it's naked out there. And I may not even say anything brilliant. And they say, whoa, wow. I never really thought of it that way. And there it shifted. Yeah. So we walk around with all these stories inside of us. And if the stories are never checked or challenged, they can get pretty rotten and corrosive inside. Mm -hmm. We can't get rid of the stories, but they can change their shape. So you pull them out in an office or with a friend or on a piece of paper, and the shape can change and it can go back in a little lighter. Writing's always been very therapeutic for me. I've had a journal for years and... But I started finding I would only come to it when I was really struggling with something. I feel like I'm always better like writing out my thoughts or like if I'm having a discussion with somebody and I'm like feeling kind of panicky, like I can't get my point across verbally, I'll like backtrack and then, you know, enter it again later via like written word. I'm curious though, your work is so heavy and I think it's so important. I mean, obviously as a therapist, like you you need to find that space for yourself too because hearing and like carrying the weight of everyone's stories is that that's really that's profound. a lot. Yeah. Very <laughs> what does caring do? <laughs> well, you know it's interesting you say that because I think of what you both do and I don't know how you do it. Like <laughs> I think we're all, we're all built so differently and we're Mm -hmm. meant for different things to do different things. And when you're doing what you're meant to do, it's not so heavy. Yeah. Like people will say you deal with grief and sadness all day long. Like, how do you do that? Well, first of all, I mean, grief is such a testimony of love. So I feel like I'm I'm in love all day. I mean, I'm I'm around love all day. Now you get me a couple, like I've made 
not made the mistake, but I've, I've worked with couples before where there's anger mm. and I don't do well. And then, mm. and that like rips me apart and mm. burns me out. So I'm not meant to work with a lot of anger mm-hmm. between two people, you know, but I am meant to work with love and sadness. Yeah. But what do I do? I keep good boundaries. I'm trying to, you know, keep my numbers down of how many people I see. I've kind of figured it out in the 20 mm-hmm. years I've been in private practice now of like how many people I can see during a day. And I'm also careful about who I work with. And I, mm-hmm. I think it, there's such a chemistry to it just because I'm a grief therapist. I'm not meant to work with just anybody and who they lost. We have to, mm-hmm. we have to connect. Yeah. I think the greatest tools for me in terms of self-care is that I wake up every morning at least 30 minutes before I start my day, at least 30 minutes. And I sit alone and that's when I read a good book, meaning like a self-help or spiritual book. I journal, I listen to music, perhaps I meditate, I drink my coffee (laughs) Um, and I ease my way into my day. And that, that centers me and grounds me. And then I walk at the end of the day with my dog. (laughs) Um, And I would say, you know, besides being at home with my husband and talking to him and talking to my friends like that's, those are the two practices that, that really sustain me. Right. It sounds like it's really trying to find those practices that work for you and that work with your schedule and something that's sustainable for you to try to keep up every day. And I know um, Danielle and I are also both morning people, so we mm-hmm. both love and appreciate the morning routine. Yes. But something that's been brought up a few times that I want to circle back to because I've been going through like a really intensely emotional time that I've talked about on the podcast quite a bit. I haven't really publicly talked about it much, um, but I am going through a divorce and it has felt like the most amount of grief I've ever experienced in my entire Mm -hmm. life. The grief of not just losing my husband, but my dogs, my home, the future of what I thought you know, my family would look like what my career would look like, what, you know, so many hopes and dreams that are lost and so many things that, um, that are grieving when you go through, you know, it's whether it's a bad breakup or, or it's a divorce, but I love what you've brought up a few times about being able to shift perspective and turning that grief into love. Mm -hmm. How does that like, selfishly <laughs> help a girl out <laughs> and help any listeners going through it. my yeah. perspective I mean it feels like one of the I'm in it right now and I'm sure some of our listeners can relate to that where sometimes you just know that you're in it and you just respect that this is just the time when I'm in it and trying to force myself out is not gonna help but I would just love like to someone else that's listening that is in it right now what is some of that, like that perspective that, well, that's the key, what you just brought up, you're in it and you're aware. So like the overarching key is being aware. And when you're aware that I am like knee deep in this grief, it's paying attention to it. It's honoring it. It's not trying to rush through it and go find another house, another man, another dog. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see that all the time. I see that most, most frequently Mm. with 
divorce mm-hmm. of like a fear of being alone and a fear of being in the grief. So I'll just get somebody else to kind of fill the space. So the courage of being in it. And I wish we had a magic ball and I could say, so it's six months, you need to be in this and then you'll be out. But we don't know. Um, but I do know that the more you pay attention to it, doesn't necessarily accelerate it, but you will get there sooner than if you keep ignoring it. Right. If that makes sense. Right. It feels like sometimes like I, and I'm sure anyone that has like dealt with this not just applies to divorce, but I think sometimes we can get so caught up in our heads of going through these stories. Well, like this, what if I did this? And what if I did that? And maybe I should do this now. And maybe this will help it when you just need to bring it back to the feeling and trying to like, even just label that feeling. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point too, that what came to me is that everybody around you probably is doing that too. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have this guy I can fix you up with, or maybe you should move (laughs) here or maybe, Mm -hmm. and that's where it's, you know, our culture can be really loud around us and we can easily fall into what they demand us to do because it makes them feel better. How about that friend who who connects you to that guy and he turns out to save you from your grief? Then she feels great <laughs> because it's really, really painful to sit with another person's pain. Mm. And it takes a lot of courage. And that's why grief is so isolating and can mm-hmm. be so lonely. And that's another reason why, you know, I'll see people in the beginning of their grief process, but a lot of times they stay with me because it's the only place that they can really talk about it without somebody fixing it or moving it along. Yeah. But you also bring up another really good point just about those stories and how we stay in our head so much and why we do that is to escape how we're feeling. Mm. And the way I like to describe it is that let's, let's, let's pick one of the feelings that we don't like, which is like sadness. So your heart right now is like so sad and heavy. And that does not feel good. So I'll go into my head, which is a much easier place to be. And it feels like I'm doing something and I'll think about things. I'll think, well, maybe if I do this, I won't feel sad. Or And we go down these rabbit holes of stories and words and thoughts. And those thoughts are so captivating because they keep us from feeling what's so hard in our heart. But the problem is when we don't feel what's in our heart, it just persists and gets bigger. But if we can pull ourselves out of that rabbit hole and look at our heart and meet that sadness and say, hey, sadness, I see you. I'm naming you. I'm going to feel you. I promise you the sadness will not stick around as long as it would if you stay in that story. Oh, so many things are just like bubbling to the surface over here. I was going to like, say, I just like Danielle. relate to and I... I feel like people don't give themselves enough permission to feel the grief of the ending of a relationship. And that's like, that's a death in itself too. You know, people think grief is just limited to death, but like thinking of the life that you could have had, that's a whole life that you've envisioned for yourself. That's a whole dream that you had that's, that's gone now. That's just completely taken away. But it's the same thing with relationships too. Like if you've been seeing someone and, you know, you've like painted this life together and then something changes and you don't have that anymore. 
that can be incredibly painful and incredibly isolating for someone too. I know after Nick died, like, it feels weird to say, but it was like almost, I think the thing that hurt, that I remember hurting so much was the loss of what I thought I was going to have. I thought I was going to have kids soon. I thought I had met the love of my life. I thought we were going to have this dream relationship, a a wedding, you know? Mm -hmm. I was like, this is it. I'm never going to be alone again. Like this person just like loves me. And, you know, obviously therapy and, you know, 11 years later, I've learned and, you know, love being with me. You know, I'm, I've got my own life. I want, I'm proud of this life proud of where I've come kind of like what you were saying in the beginning with you know that traumatic situation of of losing your friend in such a traumatic way Mm -hmm. helped to shape who you are now and what you're doing and there's this I can barely relate to the girl that I was Mm -hmm. when I was with Nick anymore because I have changed so much I've had the utmost privilege and opportunities that have like come my way when I decided to take that step and like Mm -hmm. live and feel better and like start working again because I knew I couldn't stay in this space wow like I just didn't want I didn't want to feel that pain anymore and I knew it was going to be hard yeah but I had to I had to do something that intense grief is like this heavy wet blanket Mm -hmm. on top of us and it's so heavy and suffocating. Um, and then it can become a little snuggly too. Like, I don't want to let this go. Right. I don't want to lift it up. But to have the courage to lift the blanket up and put it next to you. Mm-hmm. Now my analogy doesn't work as well. But walk alongside with that blanket. Yeah. I feel really guilty too sometimes yet yeah. though. Even though if he were sitting here right now. And, you know, maybe he is. Who knows? <laughs> And you'd be like, babe, are you kidding me? Like, you're a freaking rock star. Look at everything that you've done. Like, you shouldn't feel sad or guilty about that. But, you know, then I'll look at his parents who are still so, yeah. like, they haven't, they haven't been to therapy. They're just, they're just in it. And they've been in it for so long. And the blanket is still The blanket really is heavy. still very heavy. Yeah. But again, it wasn't a child that I lost. But I've had to really separate from them because I just, I wasn't where they were anymore. Mm -hmm. And it felt like it kept pulling me back. Mm -hmm. Like it would make me backtrack, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. And that happens a lot with couples who lose a child. Mm -hmm. Like one person keeps the blanket on and the other one wants to put it next to them and it it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's, It's really hard. Um. And it's definitely hard to be in such vastly different places in your grief process and stay in relationship. But you grew through it. Mm -hmm. I mean, my favorite book on the planet is Broken Open by Elizabeth Lesser. And I highly recommend it to everybody. Um, And it's stories um, like yours mm-hmm. of, and yours of being broken open by adversity and trauma and growing through it. Mm-hmm. David Kessler, who's a grief expert, came up with the fifth stage of grief. He mm-hmm. tagged it on, ta- tagged it on to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grieving. Um, and it's finding meaning, 
And that's, that's what it's all about. Oh, (laughs) it's finding meaning. It's beautiful. And you can't give me a timeline on that, huh, Karen? (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. But it's in your future. It is in your future. It's, It's marinating right now. I love that imagery of like carrying the wet blanket with you. And I think like over time it gets a little bit lighter, Absolutely. but that yeah. idea that, and I think that like, that was a huge change in my own grief process was coming to accept that, like, especially I, 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 I like still to this point, like sometimes I can't talk about losing my dogs. They were like two <laughs> great Danes. They were um, like the loves of my life. Um, besides the other love of my life, my husband, but um, I, the dogs were the love of my life. And like, I one day just like accepted the fact that like, I will carry that grief of missing them probably until the day that I die. But I would have had that grief regardless. Like I know those dogs wouldn't have, you know, I would have out, well, knock on wood, but you know, those dogs, um, I would have outlived those dogs and I would have had to grieve their loss one day regardless. And I just, um, you know, I think once I accepted that, okay, I'm just going to be holding on to a certain level of grief for the rest of my life, it'll get smaller and it will get easier but I will like die loving those dogs and missing them. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, it's just, a, it helps because it just reminds you like, that's just a part of life is a part of life is like missing and, um, and missing and loving. Yeah. Missing Mm -hmm. and loving. Yeah. And that, that grief that gets smaller is what you live with and you can then visit it and, and learn and get its wisdom too. So a really good friend of mine lost her son when he was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And about 10 years post his death, I remember her saying to me, oh, grief is my friend. And I was looking at her like, what are you talking about? And she said, when I'm with my grief, I'm with Peter. So when your grief can transform into being with that person. And that's what I always say to clients. I say, you know, if there's a goal, quote unquote, because we're so goal oriented here in America to mm-hmm. grieving. It's that at some point you can talk about the person, the experience, and feel more peace and love in your heart than feel like your heart's breaking open all the time. Yeah. And if you pay attention to it and live the process, you get there. Oh, Karen, can you just... (laughs) Can you just stay nearby us always? No, I love being here. <laughs> you too. That was so beautiful. That was, I just got so emotional. That was so, so, so beautiful. We could literally talk to you forever. So I just, before you get into that though, I just want to say how proud I am of you. I know you've been working up the courage to, to name it, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. on the podcast. So I'm spoilers out guys this is what i've been talking about i've been going through a really hard time oh and i get to bear witness of that oh, yeah I'm it grateful. just felt so right karen yeah. it felt so right yeah. i told danielle on the walkover that i was like i'm ready i'm ready to to name it and to um to kind of like like i think it also starts to um kind of like give me permission to not be so hard on myself and to mm-hmm. like not hold on to so much shame with it like once i'm able to name it and talk about it it starts to like chip away at that shame that I think no matter what we as women, I think we'll always like kind of have to chip away at shame after a divorce. It's mm-hmm. really, it's societal and cultural and um, all that, which is a whole other episode, but no, I'm really grateful. And I just knew that this was the right time. And 
And thank you, Danielle. I'm so proud of you. I'm just in awe of you as a human in general. Like, I'm just very proud of you and the growth that I've seen. And Well, you are, um, I mean, it's, honestly, you're, like, you're an inspiration for me, Danielle. You've been through so much grief in your life. And so to hear you and see you living in your truth and you're absolutely like just a light, like you are a light, um, just every day. <laughs> oh my God, we're all crying right now. <laughs> Maybe I'll save your sappy emotional card for another day, but Aww. you are, you are just an absolute light. And it, it does remind me every day that there is another side to this. There yeah. is. Yeah. And you'll get there. Yeah, you will. Yeah. But, um, this has just been absolute. Okay. Okay. Reeling I, it I, in, everybody. <laughs> um, we're reeling it in. You just cut off. Karen. Wait, can I, can I say something really quick? Yes, Karen, okay. You may cry I, one more time. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to circle back to something that you said, Danielle, about connection, because I think that's so important. Because what I just witnessed between the two of you was connection, and that's better than any journal and any therapist <laughs> is connection, and that is something I know that has been eroded during COVID. Mm-hmm. We. Humans need connections like we need air and water. It's as important. And I don't care whether it's 20 friends or one friend. I've never met a human who doesn't need anybody. And through COVID, through political differences, through anxiety and depression, exhaustion, grief, we've a lot of relationships have have eroded. And so Mm -hmm. I think part of the work now is we need to get back to being connected. And I know this audience is young, so I'm going to say it because I'm 57. (laughs) (laughs) The texting and liking somebody's post is not the same as connecting. We need to look at each other eye to eye, or we need to talk on the phone. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, when I work all day with clients, the last thing I feel like doing is going out for dinner or taking a walk or calling a friend. But the days that I do that are my best days. Yeah. So stay connected. I know I said at the beginning of the episode, but I honestly feel so refreshed. Like uh, grief just needs to be spoken into. It needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be sat with. And Karen offers so many great tools that I feel like our listeners can use to try and process some of the things that they've been through because we all know therapy is a luxury in the States. So I hope you guys found that helpful. I hope, I hope it made you feel something because if we aren't feeling anything that we're going to be some shitty ass providers. Yeah. And we all have been dealing with so many different levels of grief that tend to just go so unacknowledged. And I think if you take anything away from this episode, or at least the biggest takeaway that I'm taking from Karen is to provide yourself some space for that grief. Mm-hmm. Like that is just step number one. If you can just start to provide yourself some space for that grief, I am going to invite anyone that if you need to take another deep breath, just like how we started, I will not walk you through that because y'all know how that went the first time. And I don't trust you. You're already laughing. So I'm not going to walk you through it. But take a deep breath on your own because I'm going to do another ASMR impersonation. I don't think you need it. You're cut off. You're cut off. If you want to get in touch with Karen, you can email her. Uh, She doesn't have social media. No. No. And I love that. (laughs) I really love it. I love and respect a, a no social media. Yeah. But we'll include her email at the end of the episode. It's kkmoonlcsw at gmail.com. 
But as always, you know, if this episode has spoken to you, um, share it with your friends. If you have any friends that are struggling, just share it. We need, just need to keep talking about yeah, not even just loss of a life, but loss of a partner, loss of a friendship, loss of a relationship with a family member. We have all experienced so many different levels of loss in grief. And this episode, I think, can really profoundly help so many different people. So definitely share this one with a loved one um, that might need a little bit of extra support. You guys know where to find us. We're over at on Instagram all the time at the WOMED. We are working on our TikToks. I, Danielle we promised me she's going to start shaking. TikTok I, this week. You promised me you're going to start shaking your booty on TikTok. Oh, Lord. <laughs> she didn't actually. I'm just <laughs> No, maybe you will. She's just putting me on um, the spot. But you can no, find us over to. on Instagram on TikTok at our beautiful website. Um, and always, Made by Jackie. I know. I always like give myself that little. Like, no, but it's really pretty. <laughs> You know where to find us. Um, as always, every rate, review, share, like just means the absolute world. It allows us to keep doing what we are doing. That is dropping episodes every Monday for you. So on that we note. We love you. We love our WOMED community. WOMED out.